0: Hello, whether it's good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, welcome to the new episode of Carers Network's Living Through Lockdown podcast series. Brought to you thanks to the generous support of A2 Dominion's Great Places to Live COVID 19 Emergency Community Funding. For those who don't know about Carers Network, we are an independent charity supporting unpaid adult carers looking after adults in the London boroughs of Westminster, Hammersmith and Fulham, and Kensington and Chelsea. I'm Mark Bradford communications and marketing officer here at Carers Network. And in this episode, we are very pleased to welcome Francis Ngali, Carers Network's end-of-life carers project manager. Welcome, Francis, and thank you
1: for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Um, Thanks for having me.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, Francis, would you be able to give us some background on the project, like when it started, um, what is end-of-life, and who is involved?
1: Yes. Oh, sure. Um, so um, End of Life Cares project um, started, I always say, I think around 2011, 2012. Um, that was before my time um, when they were actually, they started the project research and initiation and eventually secure a funding in 2014. And we started the project in October 2014 with funding from City Bridge Foundation for three years. Since then, the project, um, actually, that first funding was actually for carers age 65 or older um, and looking after someone who fell within um, the scope that we have for the project. Um, And then we secured further funding in 2017 uh, from Henry Smith Foundation and the Big Lottery. Um, And the scope of the project has changed since then to any adult carers um, looking after someone who fall within the scope of the project. Um, And I'm very happy to say that we have actually secured additional funding um, from 2021 for another three years from Henry Smith again and the Big Lottery um, with the addition of um, an additional staff joining the team. Oh, that's Um, fantastic. On a part time basis, yeah.
0: Oh, well, congratulations on receiving that additional funding. So that's the third Thanks. lot of funding for the project.
1: Yes, it is the third lots of funding for the project. Um and I will be going from a one person project to a one and a half um, okay. Which is really, really exciting for mm. me to be to be honest.
0: So up to you, it's just up to now it's just been you on the
1: project, really. Up to now and it's just been myself on a project, um, largely. So yes. Um so I really look forward to having someone else is on board. Yes, that's right. And, and and obviously even more excited to be able to reach out to more carers um and to kind of bring more people into the conversation around sort of um future care planning and why it may be important to to kind of think ahead and plan ahead.
0: Yes, you mentioned future care planning and advanced care planning. What does that cover? What what does it involve broadly for people that yes. are new to the
1: area? Um, so before I talk about future care planning, I, I just kind of also note that um, the end-of-life is project scope, I, I just thought that it may be worth actually noting what the scope of the project yes, is, that's um, helpful. because it is. we are we operate slightly um, in a broader way than um, health and social care would traditionally understand end-of-life care, um, so we support any carers who are looking after someone who may be sort of end of life as in the last years of their life or have a prognosis of terminal illness. But it may also be a carer who's looking after someone who is eight years old or older with health and care need. Um, The idea here was for the project, we were going to be trying to support carers to navigate the system, but also to kind of try and support carers to focus on future and advanced planning. And in that sense, we thought that as early as possible was very important. So we kind of brought um, in people age eight years old or older because they usually represent the larger proportion of our mortality rate in this country. And so, and the last one is carers of people who are actually in the care or nursing home. So okay. that's the scope of,
0: of the yeah, project. That's really helpful.
1: What we do in the project quite often starts with what we call an end-of-life carer's assessment. is an assessment tool that we've developed ourselves internally to um, start conversation with the carers in order to understand their need, um, but also to start that conversation around future care planning. And so we will start talking to carers about checking in whether they have, um, consider who will manage the cared for person affairs, um, and so we will ask them whether they have lasting power of attorney or know what that is. Um, we sometimes will talk to them about things like apprenticeship, which may be an option around lasting power of attorney, particularly where the person no longer has capacity or doesn't have capacity, uh, mental capacity to manage their own affairs. We will be asking about things like will writing, we will talk about funeral wishes and plan. We talk about preferred place of care. We talk about sort of carer's emergency. So if for whatever reason, the carer was no longer able to care, to look after the cared for person, what would what be their wishes around that? What would the carer want to see happen? What would be the cared for person wishes? And this is essentially what future care conversation for us is. Um, it's about trying to start conversation with the carers so that they perhaps by the time that they need to consider some of these things that they have already had a chance to understand what it is, to explore what it is, and maybe to even come to a decision as to whether that's something that they want to have in place and know how to go about making sure that they have that in place.
0: I see. Do you find these conversations about the future planning and about death and dying difficult conversations to have with carers? Do you find them difficult
1: ones to approach? Um, personally, I don't find it difficult to approach. Um, I often say when I, when I was starting the End of Life project, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time researching um, End of Life and sort of conversation around death and dying. And I was fortunate enough to meet a gentleman called John Underwood who is one of the founders of the Deaf Cafe. Oh, yes. Uh, if you've heard of that. Yes,
0: I have, yes.
1: And he spent quite a fair bit of time um, giving me, supporting me in sort of um planning out how I, the, the service, this project was going to be run or be delivered and what angle. And so I did have quite a good opportunity to look into and understand why it was important to talk about deaf and dying Uh, and bereavement and so I personally feel very comfortable having this conversation Mm -hmm. Um, but I think something that I often have to be very careful around is understanding that or accepting that this is not an easy conversation for everybody and it's being sensible enough Mm -hmm. um, to kind of navigate that sort of that those experiences but I will say that by and large in the last six years, during this project, I may count about you know, a handful Yeah. on a single hand. The number of carers who've kind of come out and say, I don't want to have this conversation. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not interested for whatever reason. Overwhelmingly, I think people respond to it quite well. Um, and actually, it's not as sort of morbid or taboo a subject as people think it is. Uh, because my sense has been that it's more a case of people want, not talking about it because you don't want to upset somebody bringing the conversation up. So quite often it's about who you have the conversation with and how that conversation unfold, rather than I don't want to talk about this. I see. Just for any um, listeners
0: that haven't heard, um, aren't aware of uh, the death cafe um could you just give us a very quick explanation of what that is
1: yes um so the death cafe is something that has been around for uh, some years now um and it's about it's a format mm. of people coming together into a meeting without an agenda but obviously you may have a uh, biscuit and tea and then sitting around a platform where there is no agenda set and talking about anything to do with death and dying. Effectively, I tend to say talking about life in a sense, mm. but from sort of starting that conversation from the end of it. I see. Um, okay. And it, it takes place all across the country. Um, Deaf Café is quite international. Um, so you have a lot of Deaf Café happening in North America, in Australia. Um, and actually during the lockdown, I have been able to join Deaf Cafe in Spain and, in, oh, wow. um, in Mexico. Okay. Um, so they've all gone online, so then, haven't they? Yeah. Yes. It, they've all gone online. And it can be quite a very comfortable place to go and have conversation about maybe things that you may want to find out, questions about around sort of a deaf dying and bereavement. Um, and it may be a good place to reflect and share your thought and maybe how you may be feeling around your own experience.
0: Oh, that's really, Yeah, Thanks for that background, because I know that I once advertised that opportunity and uh, Cara was just a bit shocked by the, the term, and, but when I, when I explained it and sent over a link, they kind of um, grasped the concept and, and thought it was a good idea. So yeah, thank you for that background. That's really helpful. Yes. Um, I noticed with at the moment, and in the past, you've run quite a lot of um, training sessions on advanced planning. I know there was one yesterday on lasting power of attorney. So that's so is that something that you're going to be continuing doing with the project?
1: Yes, um, I, I think it's been one of the sort of um, big success of the end of life carers project. Mm-hmm. And the workshop, particularly for me, are very, very important because it enables it gives an opportunity to those carers who are not in the project, who are not being supported through the end of life carers project to be able to also engage in those conversation, which I think is all very important and quite well and good when you make, you know, some carers and, and many carers who do join those workshops are not looking after someone you know, in the end of life are not um, supporting through the project. Okay. But for various reasons, may be interested in, the, in 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 those issues themselves. You know, they may be looking to, to sort out their affairs. Some people think about this quicker than others or earlier than others. Um, and in that sense, it's always been a very successful workshop. And I think when we'd had them in a the community, they've always been the best attended workshop yes. at Terrence Network. Yeah. Um yeah.
0: Yeah, they always so, get a yeah. good response when we advertise them. Yes, yes.
1: One thing I was going to
0: ask is, it, does the project provide bereavement support and, or is it able to help in, in any way around that?
1: Yes, I, I, I think what I would always say is that it's quite important to understand what bereavement support is. And obviously you have the practical side of bereavement support that people need. And then you may have the cases where someone may need cancelling support. Obviously, we don't provide cance- no. a bereavement cancelling support, but the project will support carers right through to bereavement. Um, and in some cases, it may be up to 12 or 18 months after their the caring role has, have ended. And quite a lot of the time, it will be a lot of emotional support. And I mean, I will argue that actually in many ways, sometimes, bereavement support will have started for some of those carers before the cared for person has actually died. Because I think that some people start grieving well before because they're very well aware that this person may be dying anytime oh, yes. soon. That's yes, interesting. So kind of being mindful of that is also very important. For example, I've had carer who kind of suddenly told me, um, sought reassurance because they're feeling guilty because they've started thinking, I need to prepare for uh, my mother's funeral. So they've been looking around and then they will be like checking whether you know it's the right thing to do. they feel guilty that they're doing that. And so it's quite important to be able to support them and go through that journey and reassure them that of course, you know that's something that you if you you need to be to be doing, looking around in terms of what you may want to organize. Can help you to think about what would be affordable for you but also enable you to shop around and do it from a place where you're sort of calmer you're a bit more in control i see
0: one thing i was going to ask is because the project you're working on is 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 quite you know it does involve a lot of talking about death and dying and that's kind of as you say yeah. uh, um how did you find yourself in this role like what is your background that brought you to this this interest or um, this
1: yeah um so i i My background is actually um, working, I've always worked in a community, um, but I worked initially as a welfare rights advisor, um, and then I joined Carers Network in 2012 as a caseworker, and then when the project, The Opportunity, came about, I looked into it and decided that that was something that I would do, so I didn't have any previous experience of sort of end of life, which is why I kind of say that it's very important for me to actually have some time with people like john underhood who were very very helpful for me so i've kind of learned it on the job but you know one thing that i will say is that i've always been someone who's very interested in kind of difficult conversation and okay. so and yeah. sort of doing end of life and talking about death and dying for me the challenge hasn't been about how kind of um, you do that and how i kind of get myself to talk about it it's been more about how i make sure that my own enthusiasm around kind of those conversation doesn't, you know, fail me in terms of being sensible or sensitive mm. to people who may find it a bit more difficult Yeah. Um, and, and sort of trying to find different ways of working and approaching the subject with people so that they're kind of receptive to it. And I think that's been more sort of where I've had to kind of try and focus my sort of, yeah, approach.
0: That's interesting. I think most people would find that kind of approach, and they would be kind of emotionally exhausting, and um, would find it incredibly difficult. It seems like a, something that your conversations that you you don't have that problem yourselves. So that you,
1: I, if I said I don't have that problem myself, I think it will not be necessarily true. Yeah, okay, you it just, will not be true, um, and, and that is just because I um, I kind of. I can deal with it perhaps mm. better than others. I see, yes. Um, and I tend to be someone who is quite reflective quite a lot. So I have often used things like um, emotional intelligence practice to kind of reflect on my work um, and also my experience and encounter um, in the course of the work. And so it taps a lot into my own emotional kind of evaluating and assessing my sort of emotional well-being or being in um as part of my work um is something that I do quite a lot and something that comes out of that quite often for me is sort of using writing to express mm. some of those or to kind of process some of those things that come out of my reflection I see yeah
0: that's interesting. So I know you have um, hosted a few um, poetry sessions with carers and you write a lot of poetry yourself. So that, that helps. Do you find that really helps with dealing with such issues?
1: Very much so for me, because obviously um, at the moment, a lot of those poetry would relate to experiences that I have in the course of the work that I do. Because one thing that I always say about doing this role is that there is a lot of learning in it. While I may be supporting carers um, through a lot of journey, I also get to experience sort of. Um, uh, I have an expression I often say, you know, everybody has one life, but through the journey or the experience that carers share with me, I I get to kind of walk through more than one life or experience more than one life in a sense.
0: Well, wow, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. That's quite, quite.
1: And so, and in that sense, it's very very important for me. Um, and so, and that's why I think some of those writing quite often reflect. Some of those encounter for me at the moment, yeah.
0: Oh, that's very really interesting. I was listening to a um, show where you were a guest recently, and you did actually read a piece of poetry that you had done yourselves. I was wondering with, whether you would perhaps be be willing to share that with us at some point today.
1: Yes, definitely. I think um, that's something that we could do perhaps at the end. I okay. I have the piece that I wrote really in response to sort of um, my own emotional journey in supporting bereaved carers in the last year. Um, I think just like the nation or actually the world, as, a uh, you know, everywhere in the world, um, last year saw quite a lot of high number of deaths as we were all counting on national television how many people were dying every day. Mm-hmm of the covid um so there were also many carers that i had to support um because they lost their loved ones Mm. um and so i think i have a poem that kind of reflects, in part sort of um my own emotional processing of how i support and what that all meant so yeah i can share that
0: fantastic that'll be Great if you're happy to share that. I mean, coming back to the pandemic, I mean, this must has been tough on all carers in particular, um, carers being isolated at the best of times and the social isolation and the concerns during recent lockdowns uh, must have affected carers you support especially hard. Have you found that experience Absolutely. That Um nice?
1: I, you know, I think that children, everybody has struggled with mm. Um isolation um, during the, the, the lockdown um, is, and I will say that it certainly be even more isolating for many carers including particularly some of those carers looking after people who has a lot of com- complex care need and I think that that isolation and sort of sense of struggle were kind of ex- exacerbated by in the first part of the lockdown for example a lot of carers were calling us because they had call from either the hospital, um, the GP practice, suddenly talking to them about do not attempt resuscitation, uh, being yes. put on their cared for record, mm-hmm. and a lot of the time people found the carers find it very upsetting and emotional, and and it wasn't so much about the fact that they were being told that their loved one was record was going to be put down to. For do not attempt resuscitation, but I think it was more to do with sort of how those conversations happen. To have a call out of the blue mm. to say that, it's well, you know, your, you know, your, your mother, I'm gonna say that she's not resuscitated. If if she needed that, mm. it was quite difficult, and I think that and that somehow happened quite a lot, and I had quite a, a lot of sort of anecdote about that, and I think. One thing that came out of the lockdown in terms of social isolation, as well for me, was me actually coming to the realization of how many men, male carers out there, are also struggling with being socially isolated. Yes. Nice, and I and I suddenly realized last year that that was a, a problem that I had never really picked up on. That there were so many carers. Perhaps it was because I had quite a lot of male care Melcare is suddenly talking to me directly about feeling socially isolated and needing to feel connected.
0: Okay, that's, that's very interesting. So maybe the pandemic kind of highlighted that, something that's always, always been there, but we just haven't managed, we haven't really been quite so aware about it, do you
1: think? Probably, and I think when we think about it, um, suddenly you can realise that men are going to be more likely to catch up with their mate down the pub. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, to watch a football or they're going to be going down the park to play a game and not being able to do that with the pop clothes. I I suspect that maybe that may have been a contributing factor where those sort of network of connections obviously suddenly disappeared. Yes. And so that was really, really difficult. It's something that
0: you've been working on recently to um, try and engage with these male carers and perhaps start a social group, isn't it? That's something that's been been hoping
1: to do. It's something that we're hoping to do um, in the coming month, um, start a kind of a social group for men carers um, and see whether that would take off um, no, as a platform for them to kind of come and have conversation um, and, and just spend some time together, really.
0: Yes, that yeah. It'd be good to launch that group, definitely. Well, th- yeah, thanks so much for giving us um, such a good, good outline of the project. Are there any other, other aspects of the project you'd like to take the opportunity to, uh, to share with us at the moment?
1: Um, I think I will just highlight something that I am doing. So this year you have Dye Matter Week that happens okay, every yes. year um, in the second week of May. And this year um, it will be the week of the 10th of May. Um, that will be diameter week. And um, this year, what we will be doing at Carers Network with the End of Life Carers Project is to have um, a series of four or five virtual events targeted at local professionals and the general community at large to kind of highlight um, the End of Life Carers Project and then also focus on two areas of conversation, which is Future planning and bereaved in the community, and okay. um, because we feel that everyone can plays it play a role, and we want yes. to kind of highlight um, those those issues, and so that's something that will be coming up um, for May for the second week of May for the project. Great!
0: Oh, that sounds that sounds great. Events, yes. Well thanks so much for joining us today Francis Um, and congratulations again on the award of the new funding and it's very exciting. We look forward to the new member of the team
1: joining us um, to work
0: on the project. I am
1: very excited as well. Yeah,
0: Exciting times and um, yeah if if you did uh, fancy reading the poem, poem you read this we'd love to hear it if that was okay.
1: All right. Okay. So as I said, um, this piece is called um, To the Bereaved, and it's written, it's really a dedication to bereaved carers um, over the last year, um, but also to any person who has been bereaved in the last year, as well as perhaps, you know, the friends and the family members who may be struggling to sort of support or or, or be there for someone who was bereaved recently. Here we go. I know that there is nothing I will do that will help you move on. Through the End of Life Carers Project, I've learned that grief is never about moving on. That is because it has never been about leaving your loved one behind. She sure has died. He has certainly departed from the living. They kicked the bucket, left us came to an end, are gone to heaven and pushing up daisies, but his memory, her love, their legacy, their life, and the years spent together are still with us. I say, living with us. So, do not look to move on. It's dead certain to be mission impossible. Instead, I hope that you will soon learn to carry on, on your own journey, with your memory, her love, and your pain for strength and comfort. As she mourned, remember, we are here for you. Even without the right words, struggling to get the right balance between giving you time and space and asking, how are you? As you mourn, we will call just to remind you that we are here for you with our answers, short, inward, feeling powerless, helpless, but somewhat hopeful, for I do not have the words that will heal your hearts, but I hope that together we can patch up your wound well enough to keep you on your way. And that's my piece.
0: Oh, wow. That's really moving piece, Francis. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's lovely.
1: Oh, it is my pleasure.
0: Thank you again. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Francis. And as I say, good luck with the project continuing and its increased scope. And yes, and thank you again for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Mark. And thank you for your support over the years as well. Pleasure. pleasure. All right. Cheers, Take Francis. Care. Bye-bye. Bye.